The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcast. One of the host's favorite type of blitz is the green dog. That's Lenny. Mina Kimes. I've probably used that one before. It's that time of year. It's my favorite time of year. It's not really my favorite time of year right now because I'm not... I don't get to brag about a glorious victory, but we are once again, or we have arrived at the annual <laughs> Mina Kimes and Mike Golick Jr. team draft. Uh, we do this every year. Longtime listeners know. I'll explain the rules shortly. The abbreviated version is Golick and I take terms, turns drafting teams that we think will succeed in the upcoming season. It uh, brings me great pain to <laughs> inform everyone that last year, I think for the first time, Mike won. Uh, not the first time. I had a win somewhere in the early seasons, and I only know that because after that win, you conveniently changed the rules and won under the protest were, the following The, the rules were bad. Yeah, you're right. That's right. I forgot about that. The rules were fraught. The current, I'm not changing the rules this year, despite your win. Um, I'll just, the rules are this. And, and so, well, okay, sorry. First I'll do the rules, then I'll, we can recap what happened. Mike and I, it's a, it's a back and forth draft. We take turns picking teams. At the end of the season, you get one team, one point for every win. So records matter. So you try to draft good teams. You get five points if your team makes the playoffs. Five points if your team makes the divisional round. Ten points for making it to the conference championship. Ten points for making it to the Super Bowl. And then five points for winning the Super Bowl. If I remember correctly, I had it way too heavily weighted for the Super Bowl. And I think maybe that's why you won, even though I did a much better job of drafting. I think you had the Super Bowl winner. I don't remember exactly what happened. Something to that effect. Um, yeah, it was it was actually it was absolutely that we were giving out fifteen points for the Super Bowl winner, <laughs> yeah, right. and so I climbed back in and won at the end, despite the fact that you had like three more playoff teams than I did total. It was glorious. Uh, so last year, so first we have to give credit to longtime listener Sam Hoppin, who is on Twitter at Sam Hoppin and does the yeoman's work of actually tabulating the results, uh, which, uh, you know, Sam, you didn't really have to do it this year. You didn't have to do it, but you did anyways. Mike beat me by a pretty hefty margin, 253 to 191. So I went back to look at why you beat me. So you had the Chiefs and I had the Eagles for yep. starters. So, you know, that was, I think we both picked them pretty early on. Uh, so Mike had the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, the Cowboys. You got great value with Jags and the Giants. But I think it was that sort of AFC chunk that really delivered you the win. I had the Eagles, the Niners, the Vikings. That was kind of surprising. But um, I think at the end, when you looked at how things shook out in the conference championships, divisional round, all of that, you can see you can see how you emerged victorious. 
It was it was a really solid year. Like you mentioned, I had a couple of the surprise NFC teams that did enough to get wins in the regular season and postseason. I think I had Minnesota and the Giants, so I got a lot of value out of that. I was looking at the teams from last year, and an interesting like thought experiment I was doing was, if I offered you a deal right now, Mina, based on what we know about this season, to go and just say, we're going to run back the exact same picks that we had from last year's draft and let it ride knowing what we do about this season. Would you sign up for that? Because I think each of us have a couple of the teams that expe- are expected to be like the take a step forward, yeah. potentially go from outside the playoffs to inside the playoffs this year. Uh, let me open my picks because, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I went back, you know, I, I made some mistakes. Like I had the Broncos and the Rams. I took two early teams that, you know, I – I think underwhelmed. Um, I had the Bucks. Want, that's have, another team. No, I have it right here. I, I got the Bucks. Okay. That was another team that I think was worse than maybe we expected. But yeah, I have a lot of like for this year. I have a lot of teams from last year that I liked. Um, the Saints. You know. Well, you know what? This is this is sneaky because you're almost asking me to reveal I- how I feel about this year. I'm not though. No, I'm not gonna do that. A little bit I'm of gamesmanship here. Any insight here. into this year's board? Um, I'm also flipping it. I think I'd let you go first, like every year. I'm going first this year. I'm tired of that, so I'm going first. <laughs> I feel like the loser should get to go first. That's a new rule for the team draft. So oh, here um, we go. for those who at home, because people have some of the, some listeners, and I love this, have uh, started doing their own team drafts. It's a fun, you know, it's like different from fantasy. It's kind of like a different from a survivor pool. It's kind of because there, there's, there's obviously strategy. Not you're, you're 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 trying to pick the best teams, but you're also thinking about divisions, playoff odds, schedules, that kind of thing. So we're about to do the 2023 team draft. Can I say one thing? Speaking of the listeners here, not to like podcast business on your podcast, but they can also take the listener survey right now for the Mina Kimes <laughs> Show featuring Lenny podcast and make sure when they get there to vote Mike Golick Jr. as their favorite guest among many of the other questions that listeners can answer so that Mina can give you the best yes. podcast possible this upcoming fall. Thank you so much for uh, bringing that up. So uh, I did, with the help of our terrific producers put together a survey um, just, you know, like going into this coming season, thinking about making a few tweaks uh, for both the audio and the video around YouTube products. Um, Just questions about like frequency length, what you think. And as Mike mentioned, uh, feedback on the different guests. Uh, There is a space where you can name your favorite guests and rank them. It's going to be hot hotly contested between some of the regulars. I probably won't tell you guys how it shakes out because I don't want any hurt feelings, but I am very curious. Hey, listen, we're we're not afraid of competition around here, and I can speak for I, listen, I'm gunning for Dominique. I know he's got an advantage. He's a wonderful regular guest around he's here. Regular, you yeah. can hear him here part of each part of each week. So I get I'm behind the eight ball on that, but I'm not afraid of a little competition. Mm-hmm. I've been cut before and I'll be cut again. You're definitely the second most frequent guest behind Dominique, who is returning uh, soon. I think in a couple weeks, probably we'll start that up again on Tuesdays. Um, so the, the the link to the survey is in the show notes of this week's episode. I have also tweeted it out. It is my pinned tweet. I really appreciate the feedback, guys. Um, even though I know most of the comments will just be like, bring back Letty's voice, and I'm not doing that. Okay. 
da 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 with the first pick of the annual Mina Kimes and Michael Jr. team draft. The team that I believe is most likely to get the most points in my proprietary infallible system is shocking the Kansas City Chiefs. Man, the real end of a dynasty. I think I've picked the Chiefs like every year that I've had the number That's one pick. That's why I wanted the first pick this year. year. I'm tired of you picking the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, we don't really talk about it too much. I think the only case against yeah. the Chiefs is just that the AFC is harder than the NFC, so you could make a strategic case for picking the Eagles. But I think the NFC is actually top-heavy. Like The NFC is weak, and I think the good teams are more likely to make it in. Like It's easy... It's easier to pick playoff teams in the NFC, I think, than the AFC. But I also I don't view the Eagles as having a significant gap over the rest of the other like four teams personally. Uh, I also think they're in a very difficult division, by the way. I think the Cowboys are nipping in the hills. Well, I'm not getting away my future picks. Anyways, we don't need to talk about the Chiefs. You have picked two. And Mina, for a lot of the reasons that you have already laid out in front of us right now, the vast gulf in talent between the conferences, the fact that we've got to factor, factor in divisions and all of this, with the second pick in the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny, team draft for 2023, and for my first pick overall, I will be selecting the San Francisco 49ers. Wow. Over the Eagles. Well, it's it's what you mentioned. I think a much more winnable division and an easier path there to where I kind of looked at this and go, all right, I kind of want to work with division winners first and people that are going to rock that way. And I think for them too, I mean, for the 49ers, we know the rest of the roster is a juggernaut. How much more can you do? It's that meme where st- God stop giving me your toughest battles and how are you still alive? That's the 49ers quarterback position from last year. So I feel like, well, yeah, you're limping into the season with a quarterback who is still Mr. Irrelevant in a small sample size coming off the elbow injury. I do feel like we're approaching something mm-hmm. looking more like stability in that quarterback room in an offense that doesn't really need you to go crazy at that position, as we well know. So. Okay, here's why I like your pick, and then here's why I disagree with it, and we'll set up my pick. Um, I think one, th- for obviously, that we've talked all summer long about the strength of the 49ers roster. The it, it, We expect them to be very dominant, it, er, kind of the quarterback position being irrelevant. I think for the purposes of this exercise, um, Playing in the NFC West does give them a massive advantage because they get to play the Rams and the Cardinals four times, uh, which isn't to say, by the way, they're not going to beat Seattle. I'm just talking about, you know, strength of competition. So when it comes down to these teams at the end, um, in terms of seeding, I think that's they're likely to have an edge over Philadelphia, who's going to play a much harder schedule than they did last year when they played one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. Uh, and I think that the, the NFC East is tricky. It's a, it's, it's not, it's, it's definitely harder. I don't think there's any gimmies. I don't think any of those games are gimmies. Um, I'm still projecting Philadelphia to win the division, but you know, even like watching Washington, uh, the, over the weekend or Monday rather, um, you know, like that's, that's not a gimme. And so I, I think the Niners, there's a good chance they finish with a, a better record and thus higher seeding. 
they match up well with Philadelphia if these teams meet again in some ways. So I get that. Yeah. That Just ask said, the 49ers players from last year how they feel about if these teams were to match up again and have a healthy quarterback. That said, uh, I just think the Eagles roster is better. I think it's deeper. I think the continuity uh, at the quarterback position does give them an edge in this regard. I also think the Niners have a little bit of a depth issue at a few significant positions that, I, you know, like notably offensive tackle, Caffrey, Kittle, if any of those players go down, when you start looking down the depth chart, uh, it gets a little bit concerning. Whereas I think Philadelphia, particularly on offense, they're just running like so deep uh, across the board. So thus, I will take the Philadelphia Eagles, unsurprisingly, number three overall. Yeah, makes total sense. And this is where the gamesmanship of the draft really starts to take hold in my brain because you're thinking about balancing conferences as well as divisions as we go along here. Do I want to load up too hard on one and risk not having depth in another, or do I want to do a little bit of hedging here? And I've got to kind of game you out too. (laughs) All right. So Philly. Hmm. How worried are you, by the way, while I mold this decision over about the loss of both coordinators? I'm more worried about the loss of the offensive coordinator than the defensive coordinator. Uh, And uh, somewhere a million, I don't have a million listeners, (laughs) several thousand Philadelphians scream, Jonathan Gannon! He's, you know, they still hate him so much. Um... I, I, I'm actually, I think personnel-wise, I do have some concerns about the Philadelphia defense that I've articulated, but I think, I, I don't think there's going to be, I, I can't imagine like coaching, making them worse, if that makes much sense, based on what they ran sure. last year. Whereas offensively, I, I, I was a really big fan of Shane Steichen and his game management and his match approach to matchups. So I think there's a bit of a challenge there, even if there is a lot of continuity with Brian Johnson having been there and worked so long with Hertz. Those are great answers. Thank you for buying me time right now with my second pick in the draft. I am going to take the Buffalo bills. Okay. Which I don't know. Again, it's another one. I don't feel like we've got to sell too hard. They're in an interesting spot right now because I know last year by like DVOA standards, they were still a really good yeah. team. Even if down the home stretch of the season, Josh Allen's elbow injury felt like it affected a lot more going on. We all focused on the off season strife. And if Stephen A. Smith will have you believe it, the current strife still between star receiver and team and Stefan Diggs. I'm not really buying that considering the phenomenal year he still had last year, but they are getting old in certain areas on defense. You're betting on injured guys late into their careers or later into their careers coming back and being as impactful. So I get the inherent risk in all of this, but this is still one of, I think the three best teams in the AFC. And so here they are. Yeah. I had the bills very high, obviously on my board. I've been high on them all off season. I feel like weirdly, they're the like quote disrespected team right now. I don't know. I, 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 yeah. you and I have talked about this a little bit. Like, first of all, if you're in the top six or whatever for Super Bowl odds, you're not disrespected. So they're not actually disrespected. However, um, 
it feels like people are kind of bored by them or something. I think it's the fact they've gotten so close the last two years and come up short, even though it's one of those like games was insane and there's been injuries and this and that. But at a certain point, if you're a favorite and you don't deliver, I think people just kind of turn on you um, for no reason. You give a good reason, which is, I think there's some age issues with the defense, the, you know, on the roster, there's been some kind of meh drafts. So, you know, there's kind of the, there's two questions. There are the, like, is this team built for long-term success question, which I think mm-hmm. you can, you always have Josh Allen. So you're, you, you're always going to be successful, but I do think that because of the drafts, you can kind of question the roster. And then there is the, how good is the team this year, which is of course relevant for our purposes. I still think they're really, really good. Um, I, the one concern yeah. I have, if Von Miller doesn't come back healthy, I think the pass rush is a little sus. Uh, but I'm not worried about the rest of the team. No, I think a lot of what you talked about too was like easy narrative stuff. Like they've lost in high profile ways, dramatic ways to the other two best teams in the AFC right now by most people's estimation. But it, it, they, they're a team that interesting to me. And I'm sure you talked about this going back to the division preview, but like, I know you and scouting a lot of the NFL have talked about how the use of 12 personnel is a really interesting factor when it looks to team success and how little Buffalo ran last year versus especially with all the reviews about Dalton Kincaid in camp this year, albeit an altered version because he's not a great inline blocker, what the offense is going to look like because all of these top AFC teams led by what Kansas City's done have kind of had to go through a metamorphosis in one way or another. And it feels like this kind of could be Buffalo's going into the 23 season on offense. How much the Kincaid thing is interesting because I had Collinsworth on last week and he was really, really high on him. And he talked about sort of that Kelsey type upside. And you saw Kincaid uh, played a lot in the last preseason game. And there were moments where, you know, they had him as the isolated receiver uh, when they came out in a three by one formation that, you know, like they were treating him like Travis Kelsey kind of, you know, a little bit. I think when, it's interesting because to your point, he's not going to be like teams are not going to come out in base and, and respect the fact that he's linebacker. If he doesn't block, do you think that, how much do you think that matters? Like, is it, you know what I mean? Like if you have a tight end, how, how how much does it matter? Like if he's not entirely complete? Yes. Yet. Well, I I think only so much, and like our buddy Nate Tice I saw the other day broke down, even in the preseason, you saw you can use him as sort of that like U tight end, that like backfield tight end, get him isoed on linebackers. He can still be involved in the running game. You can fax him back across formations and have him do that instead of, you know, being at the point of attack, working in combination with tackles. There's ways, because as we know, like running success and play action success are not something statistically correlated, but it's about just kind of like sowing those seeds of, all right, I can expect a little more than just one thing from him. And so I feel like if you mix enough of those in combined with what is already a really adept pass catcher, they're going to be able to get creative enough to make defenses have to honor that in some way and find a mismatch. It doesn't seem too far-fetched. I mean, he's still a better blocker than if they had a slot receiver out there, you know, right? So, yeah. uh, Okay. I think there's two teams that are very obvious candidates right here. And I am, I, I, I have been thinking <laughs> as I asked you that Dalton Kincaid question <laughs> about, uh, about which one I want. 
one of them, I think, is probably the better team, but I also think they're in a hellfire division. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Dallas. I'm going to go with the, the other team. Yep. And you're happy because I know you're going to take the team that I was going to take. Yep. Okay. Just focusing on Dallas for a section for a second. I just the team is so good. Like the roster is so good. I have said I think this will probably it's between them and San Francisco for me, but I think that it's, there's a good chance they have the best defense in football. It's a deep defense at very important positions. Um, the I have got spun myself in circles talking about the Mike McCarthy aspect for the offense. But I think I've landed at a point, sort of dazed, you know, like when you play, uh, when you try to hit a pinata, where I think it's going to be fine. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of. Um, what do you think of this take? When the Cowboys didn't bring Zeke back, and he signed with New England, I sort of talked myself into thinking it was good for Dallas because it means they're not going to try to run the ball as much as they did last year or that they're moving on uh, from some of the, I thought they ran too much on early downs last year. So despite, I mean, everything this team has done personnel wise is not the actions of a team that intends to run the football like uh, at, at extremely high rates. So I don't know. I found I, myself feeling good about them. It's like watching a friend who's got a really toxic ex instead of just listing their number as do not call or do not answer. They finally just block and delete the number and actually cut that person out of their life. So yes, this looks like growth for the Dallas Cowboys from that standpoint. They, and it's not to say Zeke Elliott is some sort of, you know, toxic excess but in what it represents for that right. team yeah it does feel like growth even if there's been a lot of like over focus on the Dak Prescott turnover thing I feel like like I feel like we've gone from yeah clearly that wasn't good 15 interceptions in the volume of games to all right we don't need to go crazy on it and I saw you know your colleague Dan Orlovsky bring up like you also don't want to take away the aggressiveness of yeah. pushing this downfield. Like I feel like Cowboys fans that got enamored with bashing Kellen Moore for passing too much might overthink that and potentially like that would have that would have been going too far. I think they're just right right now. All right, I know you're going to take. Yeah, it's going to be the Bengals. <sighs> yeah, I'd, you, and honestly, you, were you thinking back? Were you thinking about the two teams, the Cowboys and the Bengals? Yeah, I was. And that was going back to my pick in Buffalo is I kind of wanted to hedge the NFC East. And I feel like I've made a mistake now because I could have gotten Cincinnati or Buffalo at this spot and done this. I have basically like Houston Texans myself here uh, with the Will Anderson (laughs) pick. But yeah, I mean, Cincinnati, another obvious one here. You know, they're in the middle of kind of what we talked about with the top of the AFC metamorphosis. Theirs is in the defensive secondary, kind of like what Kansas City had to do last year. To an extent, you know, you get Von Bell and company hockey line changing out of there. You're getting some guys coming back off injury, some young guys you need to step up and combining that with the offense and the other side that we're waiting on the Joe Burrow payday at some point. We all know it's coming and going to be massive, but they're at the tail end of all our young rookie skill players are on their original contracts. And we were able to rebuild our offensive line because of it. Like, I know you got to spend time with Orlando Brown on NFL Live and 
it really seems like a lot of people feel this is the final capstone into hopefully creating a unit that can be sustainable for a while here. So I talked about this a little bit on the Collinsworth pod in which I really want to apologize to Bengals fans for forgetting the Bengals then having to insert a little uh, segment where I talked about them by myself. You know, the the one concern I had about this team was this the past defense losing Bell and Bates. And I do think that is a concern, especially in the AFC. But as the offseason has gone by and I've thought about it and I've gotten to watch some of the young players, I mentioned Dax Hill having that great game. Um, Cam Taylor-Brett just kind of remembering how well he played at the end of the season. I think they'll be fine. Like, I really do, especially by the end of the year when when this matters, when they're in contention for, you know, get, delivering us five, ten points or whatever. So, and then, I, I you know, I'm not worried about the offense at all. So, I, I ugh. I think the Cowboys are the Bengals. I don't know. I just, the AFC North, I think, is so good. That's kind of my other really strong belief headed into this season. Uh, and for that reason, I will take the Baltimore Ravens here. Mm. Sort of my counter to like, uh, I think they could win as well. I love the Bengals. I think the Bengals are amazing. But I think that the Ravens have a good shot at this thing. I think if their team is so good, I, I already spoke about early in the week how optimistic I am about the offense. Uh, I have some concerns about the defense, particularly after the Marlon Humphrey injury. I think the secondary is definitely a concern, especially early in the season. But I think by the end of the year, they'll be really, really good. Um, and I, and I, and I, 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 I'm kind of more optimistic about the pass rush maybe than I should be. Uh, I did like the clowny signing. Uh, just giving them except sort for of, the number. Oh, <laughs> I was like not paying him that much. Twenty four. <laughs> Heinous. <laughs> the That's number a crime. that matters. It's weird. But you know, Mike McDonald loves to play games up front and and mess with the minds of quarterbacks. And now he's got a guy wearing the wrong number, rushing from the inside, running from the outside, dropping into coverage. It, it's, it just seemed like a good match of. Uh, coordinator and the player and i you know i think between owe and ojabo one of those young guys should step up so i like the ravens this year i might be like a little bit too high on them i you know i definitely am drinking all of the kool-aid of the offense every time a new quote comes out from todd munkin and, and lamar about how much they love each other and how much latitude he's been granted i buy in a little bit more but I was going to say, if we thought the honeymoon phase for the Jets had been very PDA, the honeymoon phase for Lamar and Munkin has been just as much, if not more. It's been incredible. Also, let me say, the Ravens no longer being undefeated in the preseason makes me more confident in them. I feel like... Ooh, yeah. spin zone. Spin zone. Okay, this is yeah. where it gets weird. Yeah. I'm looking at I'm looking at the next tier of teams, and I think we got through... Like the obvious ones, frankly. Yep, definitely the through. Now Dallas. it's a, now Those it's a little more flavor of ice top cream. Top six. Uh, this is not in the right order, but Kansas City, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Bengals, Niners, Cowboys. I have to think that's probably how most of these drafts would go if people do this. 
I think now we're in, and I would put Baltimore in this next tier. Now we're entering a, a phase where strategy probably matters a little bit more. Who do you have at pick nine or uh, eight? One, two, three, four, five, yep. six, seven, eight. Yep. Yep. Pick number eight here. Uh, and this is a little bit strategy, a little bit heart. Come on down, the Detroit Lions. Okay. I They're yeah. in this next group for me. I hear you. Yeah, I figure likely division winner. Like, I think they are absolutely capable of winning the North. We know remade their secondary, taking running back and mid or linebacker at the top of the draft kind of weirded everybody out. But you were able to keep a lot of continuity. Ben Johnson coming back cannot be overstated how important that is. And I just think that despite not being sexy, I think all of those picks will be like incredibly productive where they're needed to be, especially the Jameer Gibbs portion of things. I think him and Ben Johnson's offense, especially, and all the versatility there can be a really, really fun cog in that. And then defensively, you know, we'll see if that, you know, completely like hockey line changed back end can buy them just enough for hopefully, you know, the front seven to take another step forward and some of their young draft picks to start showing up more. Yeah, I I think that division is huge here for them. Um, you know, so I went on a Bill Barnwell's show. We did a three part series where we did the hottest takes, and he did an anti Lions take for his mild take that he actually had the Lions not taking a leap, and you know we pushed back on it, but it kind of sowed some doubt in my mind I don't know listening to him, he was you know just like here's all the numbers pointing to regression and they didn't turn the ball over and I was like oh I don't know suddenly suddenly I'm questioning this um I just I think mean, the, the, I, I yeah I, I I would say I guess and I mean like to like nerd combat Bill Barnwell's I'm sure very like prescient numbers here i saw our friend aaron Schatz and the folks over at the ftn mm. almanac also accurately pointed out the lions dealt with a ton of injury last year and a lot of yeah. it in the front end of the season when they were all topsy-turvy there was some fumble luck that just went the opposite way for them early in the season and so once you get back i mean you've got one of the better offensive lines in the nfl as a rock solid foundation so obviously I'm going to buy into that pretty heavily. Aiden Hutchinson in the back half of the season really started to flash some of the stuff you'd expect from a guy picked that high. So I think some of the areas where they looked like, oh, they really weren't improving last season ended up once you saw them with things sort of level adjusted for some of that other stuff we talked about that, again, in any given year, usually equalizes, usually finds its level. I feel like that tilts slightly in favor of that team progressing. And again, the rest of the division, you know, the Minnesota Vikings yeah. are going to take a step back, you know, attrition gods right there, Green Bay and the Jordan Love thing. So it all makes sense in my brain. And that's okay. all that matters for this draft. Uh, okay, I'm going to go with a little bit of a risky pick here. I actually had them further down my board, but now the way things are shaking out, I'd like to move them up. I'm going to take the Dolphins. Uh, very nervous about taking them because of their schedule, second hardest in football per FDN. They, they, they play in the AFC East, which is also a nightmare. But I think that the offense, while it may it won't have as easy of a time as it did last year, as evidenced by Tua running their most common concept last year and being picked on his first play, 
what they did on those next few drives reminded me like, oh, there's just so many counter punches available to them. I think they're going to be much better at running the football. Not that they were actually bad last year running the football. It was more of kind of a willingness type thing. But I think they're going to be uh, better at it this year. And even with the Ramsey injury, I still th- I think this defense will be fine. I they'll be better when he's back. Knock on wood. Hopefully, you know he c- comes back before the end of the season. But I actually really like their cornerback depth. They had um, last year. I think it was undrafted. Cater Kohu played really well for them. They drafted Cam Smith in the second round this year, so they have options at that position. I think Vic Fangio is going to protect the corners. Obviously. <laughs> It's impossible to protect them less than they were last year with Boyer. And I just think this front seven is so nasty. Like I, so, you know, I, it might be a little bit bold taking them for other team in the AFC East, some other teams in the NFC, but I really like the roster. I really like the coaching staff. I really like the additions. And uh, yeah, I think they're just going to be a tough out. No, I, I'd agree, and I'd say, I know we just talked about this with Baltimore, but of new coordinators and new homes, I think Todd Munkin, for me, mixing with the Baltimore offense is the number one combo I'm most excited to see. Miami's got to be, too, right after that. Yeah. I mean, watching just because you mentioned so many compelling pieces, Jalen Phillips up front, you know, Christian mm-hmm. Wilkins, the dogs you've got on that front, now running the most polar opposite scheme that you could run based on what they've been doing the last couple of years, where it was just all single high. We're going to bring the house and let these guys rain hell upfield. It's going to be fascinating to watch who ends up benefiting the most from that jump. And I know you're very high on Jalen Phillips, so you feel like he might be that guy. Him, Javon Holland, who's just like a dream fit, I think. I think he that's a guy that in a year from now we could be talking about as one of the best defensive backs in the NFL. You get Brandon Jones coming back from injury. So all right, it's a little risky, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reach for the Dolphins here. Who do you have next? Well, I just heard that in Chris Conway. Here's a guy. Um <laughs> let's see. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. All right, I am going to, in the interest of creating a little bit of balance here, actually, mm, my my roster gone, is really gone, not balanced I've right gone, now. I've got. I actually need. I've been crossing out picks, and I realized I wasn't keeping track of my own picks. So I, I went San I, Francisco, Buffalo, you got San, yeah, sorry, Cincy, and Detroit. Detroit, yeah. All right. Um, this is the tenth pick. All right, this is the 10th pick. Mina Kimes just went with the Miami Dolphins. I am going to go with... I'm going to get really dangerous here. I'm going to go with the Chargers. Ooh. Okay. They're in this tier for me. And it's it's kind of the thing I was leaning heavy on division winners and the thought process of this, but I also do like the idea of an upside play, especially in the AFC West, where we think that's kind of a foregone conclusion. And it's the usual calculus for this team of if they stay healthy, put it on the board, the mix of Kellen Moore and Justin Herbert in this offense finally pushing things downfield seems like it could bear the kind of fruit that has, you know, playoff wins on the back of it, not just getting to the playoffs. I think I, I've been, I haven't talked Chargers a lot, so I'm glad you brought them up. 
because I think I, I just am I'm tired of falling for the okie doke every year. Um, I do think the offense is going to be a lot better. I have questions about the defense based on the age of the players. There's, I still think there are certain holes. Uh, Chargers Dolphins week one is going to be mm. not just toxic on the internet, but I think a really instructive game in, in terms of like, I think we're just going to learn a lot about both of these teams very quickly. Like Miami, do you have, you know, last time when these teams played near the end, the Chargers defensive game plan against them really, you know, it was one of the kind of defining moments in the NFL season for me. So I think we're going to see very early on, does Miami actually have the counter bunch? It's a great coaching matchup on that side of the ball. Is Herbert going to push the ball downfield? How does this Chargers offensive line with Sean Slater back in the mix hold up against the aforementioned terrific Miami defensive front? It's like, I almost feel like, oh, I want to wait till that game to really say how I feel about both of these teams. Uh, but yeah, take, taking them totally reasonable. Um, I think I have them as second in the division behind the chiefs. Yep. So yeah, makes sense. All right. That was, uh, yeah, I'm up next. I'm going to go the division winner route here. I'm going to take the Jags. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you get rewarded for making it into the playoffs. I think they have the benefit of, Playing in that division, we'll get to all the rest of the teams at some point. Uh, you do, you know, this, this, you don't get a point for points for winning the division, however, which kind of does dampen the value of this a little bit. You get points for winning, uh, you know, making it to the divisional round. Uh, and I think that I'm just very, very confident in this Jags offense. And I think even what we saw from them in the playoffs last year, but like I, you know, I've talked to no end about the Ridley effect. I still am a little bit nervous about the defense when it comes to playing mm -hmm. the really good teams in the AFC, but I'm definitely buying what they're selling. I definitely think they're the best team in the division. All right, you're next. All right. Um, with that in mind, and it's a good point. And I think the division adherence as far as division winner is just about like, I'm sure they're going to get the points for making the playoffs and especially in the AFC. That's a huge thing with how that yeah. conference is going to be when it comes to the wild card spots up for grabs. With that being said, for my next pick, I am going to go also the division winner route and I'm going to go the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which I'm almost a little disappointed about because I know it, like, at some point that opens it up to you picking the fun team that we're all excited about in that division. And the Saints are a little less sexy in those ways just because Derek Carr is inherently less sexy. But I still think this is a team that, you know, again, a lot of it's injury base here. Are we ever going to get Michael Thomas back on the field long enough to regain some of that alongside Olave and the other pieces in that offense? Um, you know, defensively, what they've what they've been there traditionally for a while now. It just feels like, again, in this division in particular, they feel like the most grown up team still right now. And so, I'm going to rock with that. I'm going to take the Seahawks here. Mm. Uh, this is where the strategy and the rules kind of come into play. I don't think they're going to win the division, but I think they're more likely to win a playoff game than the Saints. Mm. Honestly, um, maybe I'm wrong. Saints fans, you can yell at me. I was very positive about the Saints record on, earlier this week and winning the division. 
But I think that the Seahawks have a higher range of outcomes, floor and ceiling, maybe. Um, I'm very excited about this offense, even though I received the devastating news this morning that Jackson Smith and Jigba maybe broke his wrist and we'll see his week one status is in doubt. I don't want to talk about it. But it's okay. They have Jake Bobo. Um, <laughs> Please lift my friend Mina Kimes up in prayer. You see the way she's talking right now. Lord, I've seen you do good things for others, and I want them for her. Bobo. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I, I, I've, I ranked this in the top 10 offenses on my offenses pod. I think that's a totally defensible take. Uh, defensive. Defense-wise, you know, I do have some concerns about the front seven. I have concerns about the run defense, linebacker position. Boy Mafes looks really good, who's their second-round edge rusher last year in the preseason. They need one of those secondary edge rushers to step up. Love the secondary. Yeah, I, you, I'm not, by the way, anyone who's screaming I'm a homer, I don't think I've taken the Seahawks the last few years. I think you usually get the Seahawks in this draft, so... I'm no, I'm actually taking great pride in that usually and stealing the Seahawks. I also feel like I'm doing you a favor most times. I don't know how you are. I usually hate going anywhere near my team when it comes to like betting on them or having to attach my happiness to the outcomes outside of fandom. So I felt like I was helping you. Okay, you have pick 14 and then I have 15 and then we'll take break. All right. Um, pick 14 here. I'm going to go – this is another tough one because of the division. But, man, again, if we're talking about – I got a, I got a couple of, like, boomer bust ones I'm potentially flirting with here. I'm going to go with the Browns for this one. Wow. Okay, I had two teams above them. I had them third next. Uh, explain yourself. Yeah, like obviously uh, part of this is we talked about that division is going to be incredibly hyper competitive. We've talked about, you know, the roster they've built up around the offense, some of the changes they're going to absorb this year and trying to cater to what Deshaun Watson wants to do defensively. They decided to try and bring in a bunch of big old boys in the middle to try and help them from being atrocious against the run like they were last year. Uh, my man, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa is wearing a single digit number now. So uh, the league is on notice. That's a terrifying force. Uh, he's six, so um, went from 28, 28 to six, which huge jump up in quality there. Uh, love to see that for him personally. But uh, and listen, I know this is all a bet on can Deshaun Watson regain form. We haven't seen a lot of indicators that that's going to be the case. That is my chief worry here, but there are so many other parts of this roster that if the quarterback gets back to being an above average top half of the league, and you know, I know that's, you know, a difficult conversation for a lot of reasons, but from a purely football standpoint, if that happens, I think this roster can actually, to your point, win a playoff game. I think the defining question for the Browns is like, how good does Watson have to be to make, because the roster is so good. And we are betting on defensive performance under or improvement rather under Jim Schwartz and with the additions sure. you mentioned. And I think, um, that's a bet, obviously. They're, the Browns are kind of like Chargers Midwest in, in some ways because they're just like the good on paper team, you know, a little bit. Yep. Lucy with the football a little bit. But um, I, I, I do think that is totally feasible. Especially because like, the Browns, the players in defense have all been good at different times. And I think Jim Schwartz has also been good. So it's like you can point to all of the different pieces and see how it comes together. But with Watson, you know, who was just very, very bad last year, 
I think the define like the, the the question is okay if he is in that fifteen to twenty range of quarterbacks is that good mm-hmm. enough? If he is in that ten to fifteen range, is it good enough? I think it's that that is going to be like it's that middle bar. Like I'm going to answer the question. I think fifteen twenty will not be good enough. I think ten to fifteen will be good enough. So that I think that's going to really determine the outcome of this season for especially in such a challenging division. I was going to say, and in a challenging conference where we see you kind of need a quarterback in that range to be able to subsist in the AFC at this point in time. If it's the NFC, this is an entirely different story with the Browns, but it's not, so it isn't. Okay, I'm uh, I'm going to wrap up this the top half of our draft by taking the Jets. This feels like great value for the Jets. I know the division is really difficult. I know we're all concerned about the offensive line and all of that, and the beginning of the, the schedule, this pick might look a little bit uh, reckless, but I th- think this defense is just going to be so freaking good. And that has been reinforced in the preseason uh, because you've been watching Jets backups just destroy offensive lines in court. Like Will McDonald, the kid who they took this year, looks like an absolute nightmare. And he is depth. Like they're they're just... I love the way this team is built. The defense is built like just waves and waves of pass rushers. And then of course you got the superstar in Williams. Uh, and then, I mean, waves and waves of pass rushers coupled, coupled with one of the best, if not the best cornerback duos in the NFL. That's just that to me, Mike, for this purpose gives them a floor. Like this team is not going to ever get blown out. They're always going to be in games because of how dominant I think this defense should be. A hundred percent. And I think we've all had the really obvious talking point with the Jets this entire time of the defense looks like it took all those steps and is primed to not regress for all the reasons that you mentioned. But everyone points at the offensive line and goes, they were banged up a bunch last year. They're limping into the season to start this year. And that was still a group that had guys producing at a high enough level with quarterbacks as a revolving door. I mean, you had guys that were producing well enough to, if Brees Hall had stayed healthy, probably been wrestling for offensive players, offensive rookie of the year on their own with backup replacement level quarterbacks behind a similarly chewed up offensive line that was dealing with those guys going down on the fly. Like, I just feel like Aaron Rodgers alone is worth such a raise in that coupled with what you've got. They might have to change up some of the things they want to do to account for if that offensive line's not all healthy and ready to go or if that changes early in the season. But, you know, you've got Elijah Vera Tucker, who comes back as versatile enough to help you cover up some of those other spots if guys go down. We'll see what happens with the Becton stuff. I know he was working at right tackle a little bit in this last game and looked pretty good for him. It's always going to be about – the work volume, can you put him out there for a full game at this point? Where are we at with that? But I think Aaron Rodgers, I'll give him enough credit to say, hey, they were managing to do a fair amount more than should have been expected behind that line with those quarterbacks, and now they got a Hall of Famer. He should help the offensive line with his quick release. The spacing created by the passing attack should help a run game that was, you know, that faced adverse conditions last year. I mean, I you can't discount how much Brees Hall, how good he was and how much he did on his own. Um, He ranked second in the NFL in yards per carry last year, but only 17th from per NGS in expected yards per carry, which is based on the blocking and the positioning of the defenders. So he was creating 
for them. If they can be a little bit better, and I think they'll be helped by Rodgers, they'll be helped by, I, th- I expect like a pretty significant RPO component to this offense, all of that. Uh, if Beckton can play well, you know, there's a universe in which this whole operation just looks a lot better, but health is, of course, the biggest question mark. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back and do a little bit quicker second half of this podcast. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, that's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Okay, we are back to uh, recap the, I think it was the 15th pick. I took the uh, the Jets not long after you took the Browns. The Browns were the Jets. That's a take. Uh, so that means you're up next with 16. There's two teams that I want here, so I'm hoping you don't take either of them. I'm going to take a little, everyone a little peek behind the curtain here. The reason that the Browns went before the Jets is because on the board that I had written down here, I had forgotten to write the Jets in and transpose them from the other one because I am an idiot. So again, just file this away for if I somehow managed to win the team draft this year, that this is what Mina got beat by two years in a row. She's got to live with that, not me. Usually I'm the one who's losing track of who's taking what and where we are. I think I'm I think I've been pretty on it this year, but okay, who you got? Um two teams I want. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go the Falcons here. That's one of the two teams that I wanted. All right. Yeah. Damn it. I know. Damn it. I, Does that mean you have the Saints and the Falcons? Yeah, which is, again, an interesting thing, but I think they're going to win a lot of games. And at some point, outside of like the top tier teams that I believe are going to make runs, I need people to rack up regular season points, too. And I think the Falcons, yep. with their schedule, with their offense, are going to do that. So this point in the draft, I think it is about its record. And it's like, can you sneak into the playoffs? Can you maybe win the division? This is kind of the part we're in. The Falcons are a team that I think yes, yes, yes to all of those things. I said New Orleans had the easiest schedule per FTN. They've got Atlanta with the second easiest mm. schedule. That division, you know, it, 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 they play each other. They play the NFC North. Talked about this. Um, yeah, I wanted the Falcons here. I totally get it. I think this offense is going to be really fun and awesome. I've talked about them a lot. I think my question for the Falcons, Mike, is how do these – can these – all the free agent acquisitions they made in defense, as well as the new defensive coordinator. 
can they be anything close to average? Because that's, of course, this defense has been pretty abysmal the last few years. Yeah, and I, you know, I heard you talking about just having a couple more like actual adults in the room too, especially for sweet Grady Jarrett on the D line. So I do think that goes a long way in that. And then on the other side, we wait and see what happens with the Desmond Ritter thing. My favorite FTM note from them was they're the first team in NFL history to have a homegrown top 10 pick at running back wide out and tight end, which God in heaven, like I understand we can do the positional value thing to where blue in the face. That offense is going to be so freaking fun this fall. If Desmond Ritter just does the San Francisco. Like You talked about the Browns being Los Angeles of the Midwest. Atlanta feels like the Costco version of the San Francisco 49ers right now. And not even yeah. that much Costco version. I mean, they're still going to be really good. Yeah, so. but no, 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 I think Costco is appropriate because Costco, it's not like the great value. Like Costco's you, like, we like Costco. Yeah. Costco. Love Costco. It's like Costco. discounted a little bit, but it's also like, you know, maybe good. Uh, okay. I, I like my pick here at 17. Uh, I'm going to take the Packers. Mm, okay. Okay. I, I think the Packers could win the division. I do. I, I, I'm not picking them necessarily, but, uh, I, I've felt my optimism building in this team. And maybe that is, I have a, uh, a undiagnosed case of preseason football. That's <laughs> making me affecting me a little too much. But when you watch Jordan love this preseason, you see so far the optimist case for this looking decent offensively, which is to say, um, you know, he looks significantly better than he did when he first played. And last year he played a little bit and he looked good too. He looks similar to that. He's throwing with touch. He's seeing the field. He's flashing the athleticism. He seems to have a good rapport with this group of young skill players that I like very much. Uh, I like the Watson, Dobbs, uh, the Musgraves they drafted this year. I like them all. Run game's really good. But perhaps most importantly, what this has been a reminder for me, and I'm not just pandering to the guest here, that dude's playing behind a brick wall. Mm -hmm. And boy, has this stood out in a preseason where we are watching rookies just get destroyed. We're going to talk about them of them. Uh, it's been a, it, like, you know, it hasn't all been starters. and It's been some starters. They're so good and so deep. And that gives him such a floor to work with offensively. He, I, I feel like I've seen him get hurried or pressured like once maybe. I don't know. It's... And granted, they're, you know, facing a lot of backups themselves, but we've seen them do this, you know, with Rodgers in the regular season last year. You know, the Lions offensive line is great, but like, have people forgotten that the Packers have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL? Because it sure shows up. And for all the conversation we had towards the end of the Rodgers tenure about their failure to use high draft capital on quality offensive weapons, we know at receiver they've certainly done work in the second rounds and third rounds and stuff like that. But on the offensive line, the job they've done hitting on guys like John Runyon Jr., who was a sixth-round pick, Zach Tom, who was a fourth-round pick, Dude, who looks like he's, he's – so They might have the two he's most so versatile good. offensive linemen in the NFL and him and Elton Jenkins, yeah. like guys that can actually slide from tackle to the interior and work competently at both. Like that is so beyond difficult. Forget just going from, you know, right side to left side or something like that, changing all like the yeah. biomechanic stuff that you do there. But to then be able to go from inside to outside and make that look like it is pretty effortless now to the point where I know I think some Packers fans are a little disenfranchised with Josh Myers at this point at center and where the, the Zach Tom situation's really like reared its head there. 
it's just incredible that they've managed to found two guys that you can legitimately plug and play yeah. at any of the five spots on the line. They have the third easiest schedule, by the way, behind the the Falcons and the Saints per FTN. Mm-hmm. So I feel good about that pick. Who do you have at 18? Uh, I'm going to go the Patriots at 18. I uh, The hardest schedule. Yeah, hardest schedule. I mean, we're using this, by the way, go check out the FTN Almanac. Yes. The schedules stuff's really good. So it's not, obviously, it's not like, you know, infallible, but... No, it is notable. And it's, you know, it's preseason strength, the schedule, which I think they do a better job than most with their formula, kind of yes. weeding out the things that do and don't matter. But also a lot of that is the product of who we know they're playing in the division twice during the season. It's a juggernaut, but I just feel like so much of last year at the Patriots was the head scratching framework of the coaching staff they put together and all these things that just did not make sense. And now you've got an adult back in the room and Bill O'Brien on the offensive side of the ball. You've got a defense that's just hell in a cell and has been on that side of the ball. And yeah. I, I feel like that defense as the floor for this combined with Mac Jones getting back with an offensive coordinator who's actually going to be a value add to the team and not one he seems to be constantly at odds with has me at least optimistic about what they might be able to do. I had the Patriots hire for that exact reason. Listeners know how much I freaking love this defense, which it's similar to the Jets, actually. But there's a lot, there's a, quite a few similarities other than Mac Jones and Aaron Rodgers yeah. <laughs> being very different. But, uh, <laughs> but um, no, but defensively, in the preseason, uh, just again, like all the du- the guys they've drafted have looked like absolute dudes. Uh, Keon White, Mapu, Gonzalez look good. So I, I just think they're going to be amazing. I, I knocked them down because of the schedule. I, I, you know, just again, thinking about this, I was like, ah, can they make it to the playoffs? Mm, I don't know. I just. Maybe I took the Dolphins too high, but um, okay. I, I also might have yeah. done this because Bill Belichick recently complimented Taylor Swift after her Boston shows in public. So I am nothing if not someone who can be bought by the appropriate praise in public. What was the song that he said he liked? Um, you need to Swift calm person. down. Which, consequently, again, because <laughs> none of this is an accent, uh, when I went to her Vegas show, which was the third show of the tour, I got gifted a friendship bracelet in the elevator by a group of girls who saw that I was underdressed for the occasion, and it said, you need to calm down. So this Patriots pick was destined. I liked his quote. He was like, huh, a lot of people should listen to that. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice or something. <laughs> Such a dad thing. It's like something my dad would say. Did you see Bill Belichick talking about Kendrick Bourne? I was joking about this on Twitter, but like he, he, I think he was asked about him. But he was like, you know, good player. He's playing well. He's been contributing, and uh, he's been blocking really well. And I, when I saw that, I was like, fit the gold jacket, baby. <laughs> Kendrick Bourne is a made man. He is back. <laughs> when Bill Belichick praised his blocking, oh, oh my god, coming from Bill. Oh. Uh, okay, uh, I feel like I have I have to take the Steelers here. Um, I don't know if you caught my hottest take, which is that the Steelers would have a top 10 offense and defense. Uh, I, Steelers fans, if you're like, you heard that and you're wondering why I didn't take them earlier, uh, it's the AFC North is just messing with me here. But I am optimistic for all of the reasons I outlined on Monday. I don't need to get into them all over again. Uh, I feel pretty good about getting them too. Just, could you just see them sneaking into the playoffs? You know, Tomlin. 
the least surprising thing in the world. We've got two legitimate MacGyvers in the NFL. One of them is Mike Tomlin. The other is Mike Vrabel. Both of them, I just know, even if I look away for a while because it's kind of ugly or the gears aren't quite working right, <laughs> I'm going to look up at the end and they're going to have a fully functional bomb ready to go. Uh, all right. That's uh, 19, I think. Anyways, yeah, so I think you're 20. Yep. Um. Man, oh man, oh man. I don't know why. This this should be like the easier spot to rip them off. Um Yeah, so now we're we're definitely anything goes range here. Yeah. I think I think for that reason I'll take the other adult in the room in their division and I'll go Tennessee here, speaking of MacGyver. I had them in my next little trio. DJ had on DJ talked to AFC South. He had them winning the division. Which is a distinct possibility in that division for the reasons we know so much of that division is young and in transition. And listen, they're kind of in transition. You draft Will Levis, obviously it's not a great signal, you know, even though got definitely outplayed by Malik Willis in year two, who looked a lot better. Uh, definitely have to give him the credit there. Yeah. Turnover on the offensive line, certainly a big part of this. Derrick Henry, is his body going to continue to hold up and in a way that defied the odds for so long? Yada, yada, yada. But um they still got those fire hydrants up front of the D line that I love too. So, and again, it just feels like Mike Vrabel can keep them in the mix and potentially get to the playoffs somehow. Yeah. I, I, I like the defense. I think this offense will be better than they were last year. They play in the AFC South, totally defensible. Um, I, Yeah, okay. I'm going to take the Vikings here. All right. It's funny because I was deciding between the Vikings and the Giants, not not to tip my pick. And I think it's like they're sort of being yoked together a lot this offseason as two teams that are prime regression candidates based on winning a lot of close games last year, kind of skiing over their tips. Um and I think that the Giants could actually be a better football team, honestly. But they have a very, very difficult schedule, and the Vikings do not. I also really like the Vikings' offense. I think the Vikings... I am not super optimistic about the Vikings' defense, even with new defense coordinator. I just think there are too many holes, particularly in that secondary. But I think the offense is going to be good. Jordan Addison has looked really good. Uh, and, you know, I've talked about this, just like adding another wide receiver who can get separation into that mix with Jefferson and Hawkinson and KG Osborne. Like, that's a good group. So I'm I'm pretty I, – I didn't have them in my top 10 offenses, but I was thinking about doing that for like a hot take because I think there's a universe in which this offense looks um, much better than it did last season. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think a, as a great starting point, having the best wide receiver in the NFL on your team on offense, usually a pretty good place to go when you've got something teams automatically have to stay up at night. Because last year, you pointed out, there was not really, you know, you had Adam Thielen in the form that he's in now for those portions of the season. And then, you know, like you said, Hawkinson comes over in the middle, but everybody knew where the ball was going and it still didn't matter by and large. So adding Addison, who's certainly used to operating in a lot of space with Lincoln, I think is uh, definitely going to be a fun one there. Uh, that being said, you mentioned them. I'm going to go uh, – did you have another point about the Vikings? 
Or are you going to let me? Take I did actually want to get your thoughts on, on on one thing really quickly before you take the team that I just said I was going to take, and not, you know, stupidly. Um. So you know, I do know you watch a lot of preseason football as well, and I tweeted about this uh, during the Ravens game after Zay Flowers had. You know, it was a busty coverage by Washington, but you saw all the twitchiness, the separation, all of the things we loved about him in college. The first rounders look awesome again. Jordan Addison looks incredible. Say Flowers looks amazing. Jackson Smith Jigba is, Jigba is exactly as advertised. Quentin Johnson has had some good moments. And I feel like, and, and you know, obviously we were talking about Jefferson, the Vikings taking Jefferson and then Addison. We're now in like year four or five of just unbelievable rookie classes. So for receivers, I've talked about why, you know, we've, there's this million reasons, seven on seven football, college offices, NFL. But uh, when I, when I tweet this, I think a couple people brought up an interesting point and I actually, am going to talk about this a little bit with Seth Walder next week. I think Uh, at what point, do the veterans suffer because of it? Uh, you know, I, I, it was brought up in the context of like the running backs, right? Who yeah. have suffered for this exact reason. Now wide receivers, there's more of them, which helps. I think and that's actually a really big reason why it probably won't be as big of an impact. But do you think that we'll ever get to a point where, because it's like, because it becomes so clear that these teams can find not just good players, but great players in the first round that that'll affect veteran wide receivers ability to get paid. Um, I mean, I think eventually everything can reach a saturation point. It's interesting. Like my first thought would be, you know, if defenses start selling out so hard on stopping the pass that all of a sudden that edge you get by, and I've heard Dominique talk about this before the difference in effect that an outside receiver versus a slot guy can have on what you've got to account for as a defense. You can just tilt the field in a way that throws off an entire whole offense. Quentin Johnston, who is you know, a great example, this is going to be the third wideout for the Chargers this year, but I would argue he was the most important player on TCU's offense last year because between what he offered you from a size standpoint, how you could move him around, and the fact that you could play him on side, he forced defenses to allocate resources differently than anybody else on their offense. Max Duggan was a good player. Kendra Miller, they're all pro guys, but he was by far the most important for that reason Dominique highlighted, and so – as long as you've got that, and we're seeing right now the league already kind of counter to the defense is getting light and faster things. Teams yeah. are starting to load up on personnel, especially at tight end that can hurt you a little more in the box now that you've got these light numbers. So I think that'll keep that in enough of an equilibrium to where especially outside receivers always going to be valuable enough to take. But no, I don't see it. I don't see it affecting it too much. No, just because like you said, at the end of the day, it's one of the few positions where you can put so many guys on the field at once together. And like we're seeing in Cincinnati, it tends to be a force multiplier. Yeah. Cincinnati being a prime example of a team that did not had, had one of the best bargains in football in terms of the two guys, Jason Higgins, two legitimate number ones, both being on rookie contracts, which Minnesota will have until they paid Justin Jefferson, which they're about to pay. More and the got. other part of that is they also like, like age wise tend to last longer, like stay good longer in their careers, yeah. which is the big, and that, that I think is right. Exactly. You're, you're, you're going to give them their next contract and not worry about it aging poorly. I also think one, one final thing, like Zay flowers is a great example of this, but I think you can point to a few over the last few years, uh, 
some of these receivers have come into the NFL with concerns like, can they beat press coverage? Is their size going to be an issue? I think you know, like Chris Olave, for example, Devontae Smith. And what we have seen is it's not been an issue. Some of that I think has to do with offensive play callers yeah. and their ability to scheme them open and put them in positions to succeed. But I think um, as the size constraints seem to be changing for some of these guys, uh, Addison and Flowers, both not very big guys, that also opens up opportunities for these young receivers because you don't just need a Quentin Johnson to have a guy who can contribute and change the spacing on the field. So yep. it's interesting, uh, interesting time. They all look sick <laughs> is my <laughs> the summary. Okay. So I got Minnesota. So you're take. I interrupted you. You're about to take New York, right? Yeah, gonna take. Uh, gonna take the Giants uh, coming off your pick there, which um, unsurpri- unsurprising there. I think for me, a lot of it's predicated on. I know the focus of this season is going to be on Daniel Jones. You had all the stuff go on with Saquon, but like, I think for them defensively, we've talked about they've got some dudes up front. Dexter Lawrence is an unblockable force of nature up front. Just. Oh my God! Against Carolina, he was. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I mean, he's he is he is one of the, so he is good. one of the players in the preseason that has made me very much worry for the safety of Bryce Young, and I have to try and wonder. It's like, all right, maybe part of this is also they've faced some just absolute <laughs> freaks in a couple of these units they've gone up against. But him, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, outside of you know the one sack that everyone wanted to show was just an MA by Iki Aquanu, but that's still a guy who is really athletic good at capturing the edge showed that on like the very next rep of that game too. So those guys, and then up front of the offense, like I think Evan Neal has the potential to do the Andrew Thomas thing where while it looked rough early, he gonna ta- he's going to take a step forward, similar pedigree. He's going to get similar coaching. I like John Michael Schmitz, the kid they drafted out of Minnesota at center young guy who I think, again, I don't think it's going to blow you away like pro bowl ceiling, but I think he can be really rock solid for you in the middle of that offense. And again, you know, Mike Kafka and Brian Dable know what they're doing. They know exactly how to keep these guys in line. Those guys are so good that well, I was watching that first drive, which was like heavily schemed. It was very, they, the way they use Darren Waller, mm-hmm. the, 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 so Daniel Jones, well, they had the starters on the field for one drive in that game. And the way they used him, moving him around the formation, creating space, putting defenders in conflict, it was just excellent. I mean, you know, we spent so much time talking about Jones and the contracts and can you take a step up? But like, it was a reminder to me that it, it really doesn't like matter. I mean, it does matter when we talk about breaking, I think going from being like good to great for sure. But the offense will look good because they're really, really good. Waller is also a really, really good player, by the way. Um, and I think Jones has gotten better too. I'm going to take Denver next. Uh, this is a Sean Payton slash defense pick. I do think the offense will be more competent, which I'm filing under the Payton things. I think they'll be better at running the football. Uh, still a little bit dubious about the past game, but um, yeah, I think I think um, yep, yeah, I, I feel good about Denver here. Yeah, I, I would I would agree for all those reasons. O line's going to be really interesting for them. I know I, I just kind of like yeah. focus on my thing, but I think it's the legitimate question for them, right? Like, is Garrett Bowles going to get back to the guy he was a couple years ago? Mike McGlinchey and pass protection and you know health yeah. right now certainly coming into the preseason some, but I think that is one of the bigger factors in what's going to go on with Russell Wilson here, as they definitely lean more into the play action stuff that Sean did, you know, in the season's post breeze in New Orleans than anything we saw with Drew. 
Yeah, the the Jameis seasons I think are pretty instructive. Jameis slash Taysom kind of yeah. for um how I expect this offense to look. All right, so we got eight teams left. I'm just gonna remind people who the teams are before we pick them. Uh I'm gonna mix up my order. Arizona, <laughs> Chicago, Tampa, the Rams, the Colts, Washington, the Panthers, and Houston. A lot of rookie quarterbacks. First timers, who are you going to take next? Well, I don't love going back to back in the same division, but I'll go Washington here and take the flyer on them. Mm. I had them next. Figured as much. Part of me, this is also playing defense against you at this point, too. So, but, uh, well, speaking of defense, I mean, that's yeah. this defense should be really, really good. They should be good. Did you see my uh, skinny king, Emmanuel Forbes, getting that T- TFL? Man, I, uh, in the preseason game, I feel like we do love like in the preseason. It's just looking for kernels. And I feel like we only need yeah. one play here or there. And I feel like and in one case, unjustifiably, we'll get to the play that I think so many people are going to latch on to for Will Anderson from this preseason where he's matched up on a running yeah. back where they botched the protection on the other side. This Emmanuel right, Forbes yeah. play is 100 percent going to be the kernel that feeds him going into this season. But. You, the, the thing, the reason I think it actually matters, other than the fact that you know he's he's very very slim, and so like it's it's good to see him tackling, is when when you watch it, he's able to do it because he's such a smart cornerback. He plays with such. This is how you end up with the college record for pick sixes all time. Is it's it's not because I mean it's a little bit of luck and, and ball skills, but it's also uh, coverage and awareness and reading quarterbacks mo- um, like most of them he's reading the quarterback really well. And I think he saw that on display here. He's just, I'm really, I really, really like him as a player and I really, really like this defense. Well, and I mean, that's one of those other things we talk about, like the, these guys being a product of their environment. Like think about what he saw in practice going against that Mike Leach air raid every day, more often than not when he was at Mississippi state, like you want to talk about having to read a quarterback, having to like see the things from receivers on the other side with a lot of the air raid concepts that are made their way to the NFL. Like it's not an accident. That is an insane volume of reps that he got going against, especially, you know, Will Rogers, who's still there right now. One of the better quarterbacks in the sec who was really adept at running that version of the late Mike Leach's offense. Now I think actually I probably read all the teams too soon because I also, I thought Washington was the obvious choice there. Now it's getting, yeah, it's getting weird. I had a team here where I actually, the preseason has knocked them down for me. Who do you think that was? If you had to guess. Oh, Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Oh my, it's, it's, oh. it's legitimately concerning. Cause I think it's you and concerning. I mean, have shared the opinion that for a lot of the top quarterbacks coming into the league this year, they actually wound up in situations that didn't make me fear for their safety at a base level. Yeah. And Carolina, that has started to change drastically. I have been stunned by the regression we've seen so far. And again, it's preseason, but damn. I'm going to take the bears here. Um, yeah, I, I just am really excited to watch this offense. I still think the defense has a lot of issues, uh, particularly up. Well, actually at the first and the third little linebacker will be really good, but I think that the improvement in the offense will make them competitive in a lot of games. 
and they're so unique offensively as well. Um, this is sort of a Justin Fields bet. Well, yeah. And I mean, listen, we talked about the importance of like having a legitimate wide receiver. You've got to account for like, they've got an adult in that room now. Like it's not just cycling through like the mid season lobs on chase Claypool. It's all right. Like you got mm-hmm. DJ Moore over here. You've got a legitimate number one option for him to work off of there. You paid Cole commit who I think will look better now that he's not like something resembling the primary option between him and Mooney. So so uh, right after I overreact to a single play by a player in the preseason, I'm going to do it again. The screen to more week one, right? Yep. What I loved about that, other than seeing Justin Fields no longer have to fight the toughest battles, just like, you know, finally letting someone work for him was just great to see. Back to back too, right? With Herbert too, yep. uh, who I really like. But I think with DJ, with more. When we talk about number one wide receiver, we always think about like, oh, can he win outside and downfield? And 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 more can do that. But he fills this need for fields that I think was as big. Fields is really good throwing downfield, and you want guys who can win down there. But he, he statistically fields worse. The worst part of his game was short, throwing short. He was actually like kind of good throwing intermediate downfield i think a lot of the blame is on the wide receivers but he was inaccurate on, on short throws zero to ten uh, yards one of the worst quarterbacks in football more is you know he's not like a giant guy but he's really good at getting open underneath and getting yards after the catch um i can't remember if i said this here but from 2018 through 2021 um or actually through last season he was third in the nfl in yards after the catch per carry on short throws behind like Hopkins and I forget who the other player was, but watching that, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be, he's going to turn, you know, just so many little four yard throws into eight yards. And that's going to keep this offense running on time. And I'm just so glad that they finally have that guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also kind of helps out with another one of Fields' biggest problems that came off that was just he held the ball for way too long, fourth longest time to throw in the NFL. And because of that, the pressure rate was through the roof. So that was me simulating him just giving it to DJ Moore. (laughs) Got it. That was the the pew, pew, pew that you'll see on YouTube there. Okay. You're next. Oh, man. Um, All right. Uh, None of these are very good. I'll go. uh, Hmm. Hmm. I'll go Indy here and ride the roller coaster with them. I know that's a tumultuous team right now for all the running back reasons, but I'm still really excited to see over the long course of the season. I'm so glad they're letting Anthony Richardson start right away and just take the lumps and get into it. But the combination of him and Shane Steichen, like Shane Steichen and them ran a ton of RPO stuff in Philly last year. You can onboard him with that stuff this year. The offensive line, like super Jekyll and Hyde the last two years, we're not totally sure who we're going to get, but with the quarterback that can run, I'm banking on it helping some. And so I I don't know. I feel pretty good about all that. I know they lost some key pieces on defense that they're going to try and have to plug there. You know, I think you're counting on, you know, hopefully Zaire Franklin to, keep being a keep being a dude there opposite um who you've already got there and Leonard or uh not Leonard Floyd uh Shaquille Leonard but I don't know I this is again we're taking flyers on teams I'm fascinated in the Anthony Richardson situation so I'll bet on fun 
speaking of taking flyers, what do you think they're actually trying to do here with Jonathan Taylor? So for those who have missed it, Taylor put in a trade request a while ago. He wants out. His injury status is wildly unclear, although I think he would have to be activated pretty soon. Uh, and news broke Monday night that the Colts were open to trading him. It was also reported that in order to do so, they would like a first round pick or something commensurate, I think more than or equal to what Christian McCaffrey got was thrown around. Uh, this is a, I think raises legitimate question over whether they actually want to trade him what they actually think they can get. Um, Jonathan Taylor is younger than McCaffrey. He was a very good back when he was healthy, but he uh, is not healthy apparently right now. I don't, again, I don't really know. He wants a new contract. Christian McCaffrey, when he was traded to San Francisco, his contract became quite affordable, which I think was certainly factored into the trade value. And um, will certainly, I, I think, dampen the market for Taylor. Like, do you think this is being done in good faith or do you think it's they're acting like the chargers with Eckler or even the Ravens with Lamar where they're like, yeah, all right, let's see what you get. Let's, let's, yeah, let's get, you know, let's see what you, what, what, how hot this market is for you, Taylor. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think that's a hundred percent of what it is. And to be clear, I should say that with Jim Ursay, I should not pretend to know anything that's going on inside that man's head or what he may or may not do in a given situation. <laughs> but this seems like it's them kind of trying to rub his nose in it, which is sort of what it felt like Jim Ursay was doing with some of his public comments about, you know, what agents are telling players, all this stuff that seemed like thinly veiled shots at, uh, at Jonathan yeah. Taylor and his camp here, but this seems like them showing him like, all right, yeah, go find it. We don't think there's going to be anything there because this offseason around running backs, we found a million ways to ask a different question that ultimately leads back to the same answer, which is unfortunately this is not a marketplace that's hospitable to even young and extremely talented guys because there is part of it, like with the Saquon Barkley thing, Injury was more of a factor in those first few years than we really, I think, brought up in that conversation publicly. And with Jonathan Taylor and Alec, we don't know what's going on with that. And that's got to be kind of daunting for yeah. any prospective trade partner. I think the inside of Jim Mercy's brain looks like a Lisa Frank trapper keeper. I don't know if you know what <laughs> yes. those look like, oh, yeah. but they're all like neon and there's like whales jumping and like, you know, rainbows. Uh, yeah, the, the, the injury thing makes this hard to talk about. The fact that we don't actually know how much money he wants makes it hard to evaluate not only his trade value, but what Indianapolis should or could pay him. I think what I keep coming back to with this is when, when he, when he asked for the trade and then the Colts said they would grant it and you start thinking through teams that could trade for him and people love to throw out Miami, even though I think they're, they're fine. The Colts are the team that make the yes. most sense to keep Jonathan Taylor because for Indianapolis, and this actually cuts to kind of this exercise with the draft the goal of the season is not to win games. It's to put your young quarterback in a position to succeed. You're not paying him a lot of money. You have cap space. You could easily give Jonathan Taylor, you know, a Derrick Henry style, actually two-year deal, whatever. Keep things copacetic. Set up your quarterback. Unless he's actually injured, which is a totally different scenario. So I think that's why this is just so frustrating. It's, it's just, um, you know, I have... Long been, you know, I, I understand the case against doing it for many, many teams. 
and certainly the case against giving a, a player like him a, a long-term lucrative contract. But this feels like a situation where they could have worked something out that I think would have been suited to where the team is now and what their specific needs are as a franchise. And that's what I thought would have been. I thought that Derrick Henry contract was going to be way more prescriptive for other teams in similar situations because I think the Giants with Saquon and what they're trying to do around Daniel were in a similar spot, albeit not as dire as a rookie going in, but I completely agree. I thought there was going to be more of a middle ground of those two to three year deals for a moderate increase in pay just to keep everybody happy because there is part of that where you go in and intentionally upset the apple cart and piss off one of your best players. I think I'm going to take the bucks here. Mm -hmm. So we've got five teams left. Uh, I think John Ledyard put it best. He was excellent on the NFC house preview when he said they're like a 10 team 10 win team with a four win quarterback. <laughs> I think uh, the Rosh is good. There's good players. Uh, so I'll bet a little bit on some Baker variants. Baker QB one, by the way, newsflash, incredible graphic. Oh, I was just going to ask what you thought there. of time to bake as the announcement Oops. graphic. Spe- speaking of uh, Lisa Frank style artwork. Ah. Uh, yeah. All right. We don't have to get into it. Okay. So the, the remaining teams are the Panthers, the Rams, the Texans, the Cardinals. Don't we have the don't we have the Raiders in there too? Oh shoot, I forgot the Raiders. Yeah, yeah my bad. Which I I I'll hmm. <laughs> I'll pick <laughs> Man. I'll pick the Rams here. Like maybe offensively they can salvage something there. I I don't expect it, but Yeah, sure. Uh that's really the case for them. Uh, they get to play the Cardinals. <laughs> also a win. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to take the Raiders here. <laughs> God. I was, I was unfortunately wrestling with that same tandem, and that is the saddest thing that I can picture is having to I liked, choose between um, those two. Did you watch the one Jimmy Garoppolo drive? I did against the Rams. He let him do one drive. Yo, Josh, they came out in the I formation, fullback on the field for like half of the drive. Josh McDaniels is turning it back. And it worked look good against the Rams. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll okay. be a common refrain this year. I'll go Houston. Yeah. I think Houston's defense is going to be feisty. That's I actually thought about taking them over the Raiders for this reason. Uh, I think the defensive line is fun. I mean, Anderson, who we now know can uh, win it when, when a team messes up and the running back is actually is the, is the blocker. He's, he's good against that. He's looked good otherwise too, but, but, but that uh, defensive line of him, you got Jonathan Grenard back. who's really good. Sheldon Rankins. They added on the inside, very competent player. And then the ageless Jerry Hughes, that's a good group. Man, fun shout out to Jerry Hughes, by the way, his 35-year-old ass holding it down out there. The leading sacker on last year's Texas defense. What a hero to all of us in our mid-30s. Uh, he's going to be he's gonna be rushing from the seven tech, just getting racking <laughs> up sacks into his 40s. Okay, I'll take Carolina here. I admit this actually feels like good value to me because I'm very, I actually am high on the defense and I've talked about that a lot. And this probably is us overreacting to the preseason 
But oh my god, Iquana looks so bad. Oh, it's oh god, it's alarming. It makes me sad because Bryce Young and I, I think I heard you say it the other day too. Bryce Young's looked exactly like the guy who won a Heisman. Like, he's yeah, not doing anything wrong. He's not doing anything wrong. It's it's exactly what like we thought we were getting. Either. Please keep him safe. There's hope that co- like a more you know non vanilla offense sure. will help them. Um, so you have the final pick, the 2023 team draft unsurprisingly you're taking the arizona cardinals Ugh. i i will say there's like a couple of fun things mixed into this i guess like i am i am excited to see like the zaven collins move to edge what they're gonna do as they try and define the roles he, for he, some of these okay. I, honestly like as someone that i called uh a tulsa played two lane in 2020 and I remember going into that game thinking, man, most of this guy's best reps are going against the going towards the quarterback. Yeah. Like, why are we playing him off ball? And then he won the game on a walk off pick six in overtime. And I'm like, oh, that's why, because he can do that stuff. And he's playing against group of five opponents. And so you want him in a spot where he can impact stuff. But he was quietly kind of like Micah Parsons, where in college, all of his best plays yeah. were going downhill at the passer. So he's going to get to find a home like. Simmons in the back end is finally going to be put into like that nickel spot instead of having to be a linebacker who's not really a linebacker. So I have hope for some of those guys on a team that's just going to be a disaster to watch. Kyler's going to come back at some point too. So, all right, we did it. We got through it. Um, Thank you as always to the great Michael Jr. You guys should check out. Did you officially change the name of your show or what's the, the latest, by the way? Uh, no, nothing yet. Uh, you can check out, uh, right. yeah, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast at this point. Gojo. Okay, didn't mean to, didn't want to break news there. Uh, and if you have made it this far, thank you. And uh, please fill out the survey for listeners. I will read everything. That is not an invitation to put weird stuff in there. It is, however, an invitation to uh, be funny and cute. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. You can also check my Twitter, check us out on YouTube. (sighs) Looking forward to racking up the W this year. I feel good about my team. I'm going to be like any horror movie villain, just slowly walking you down as we get later and later into the season. It's time to go back to back. And then we start talking about the D word, baby. It's dynasty time. Let's go. Not if I change the rules. (laughs) Wow.